Hi. Okay. This is week two of us pushing Hi. our new project called Fortichka. Uh, it's a pop-up of new Russian fashion designers that's going to be on the Lower East Side in Manhattan on December 8th and 9th. And the address is... That's right, folks. Step right up. Get your fresh, hot Russian fashion. 332 East 4th Street, New York, New York. So come by. It's on a weekend. Come by. Buy some things. You can meet us. We'll both be there. Um, and yeah, it's very exciting. So Save the date. Save help. the date. December 8th and 9th. <laughs> Save the date. Save the date. December 8th. Yeah, December 8th and 9th. And, and be sure to follow us on Instagram at Fortichka underscore. Fortichka is spelled F-O-R-T-O-C-H-K-A. Yeah. Or you can go to our site at fortichka.site. Yeah. Hip yeah. fashion. Come and get it. Yeah. 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 This shit feels like I won't ever make it home. Fix back the fuck up to get off of this road. on the gas, I swear to God, Hey, no, that is not our new intro. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> From St. Petersburg and Brooklyn. This is She's in Russia. I'm Lily. And I'm Smith. And today we have a special guest. Yay. Okay, yes. Our guest is. Tamara Edelman. Well, my name is Tamara Edelman, and uh, I graduated from Moscow University. I read history there. And since then, that was a long, long time ago, in 1981, in another time completely, in another era. And since then, I have been teaching in Moscow schools. Uh, history, civics, history of art, and so on. And uh, that's my, uh, well, that's my main profession. That's my job. But uh, at the same time, I do a lot of other things. I write articles about teaching, about history. I make uh, radio programs. I uh, give, uh, well, public lectures, mostly for children, but not only. I organize guided tours. So I do a lot, a lot of things. Yes. Yes. And you've written a book. I write books. Be <laughs> and translate. Wait, uh, real quick, what ages do you teach mostly? High school? Uh, yes. They are mostly between um, uh, 13 and 17. That's okay. high school. Yeah. We're going to be speaking um, mostly about this book that you very recently published called, <laughs> in English I would say, it's, would you like to translate it as like How Propaganda Works? And so there's this book that was just published by Invidium. Before, before we get into like the sort of obvious question of like, well, what is propaganda, etc., um, I... I'm wondering, so the book is structured in this way where you where you go through really concrete examples of sort of the way propaganda has been used throughout history, and, and then at the end you have a section that kind of echoes the title of the book, like how does it all work actually? Could you just speak briefly about like who the book is, is for, sort of what you were hoping to leave people with? Well, this book is... Uh 
for anybody who is interested in these questions, uh, this is not uh, real, uh, I don't know, sociological research. It's kind of, uh, well, popular book. Can you say it in English? I don't know. So kind of things, a thing that anybody can read. And it's uh, for adults and for school children, well, for teenagers for sure too. And uh, the idea was, uh, well, uh, the owner of this publishing house Individuum is somebody I know for, I have known for many years, and he's a good friend of my children. And so he told me that, um, write about things you do every day at school. Uh, the problem is that at school we often... Uh, analyze, well, in my history class, we analyze historical sources, of course, and every source has some amount of propaganda, of bias, and so on. And this is something I find really important in my class. And we also work with polit with political news, trying mm. to analyze them. So the first idea was just to write how to... Uh, what to do with news? It's it's a big problem today, and it's a problem not only for children, but for everybody. We have such waves, oceans of information overloading us from all sources, from internet, from television, from everywhere. And some of it is okay, some is not really okay. We have so many fake news now, and it's so on and so on. So, and then uh, we decided that it will be a book about methods that propaganda, that people who want to to make propaganda really impressive, what do they use? How mm -hmm. do they make us believe in things that theoretically you cannot believe? Because, well, Propaganda can be understood in all kinds of ways. Uh, but recently, propaganda is something bad. Well, 100 years ago, you could say propaganda about different things. Just, I have my ideas, and here is propaganda of my ideas. And, that's okay, and that was okay. Today, when we say propaganda, we mean bias. So how do, we, how do they make us believe in all these biased things, and uh, millions of people believe crazy things about migrants, about people of other religions, about uh, I don't know women about about uh, female about males, males about females, and so on and so on. So, and when I started looking into it, as I'm a historian, I started with examples from 18th century, 19th century. We didn't even have mass media at that time, so that was not re a real big propaganda as it is today. But all methods, they were more or less the same. Uh, that was in uh, Nazi Germany, that was in Stalin Soviet Union, and that is something that's happening today. The idea is that you need to create the image of your enemy to show that he is very different from your auditorium, uh, from your public, that this person or these people are really different and mm -hmm. very unpleasant. 
and that they are dangerous. And in all countries, every time, the idea how to show that person is dangerous, he or she looks differently, very ugly, he smells badly. And I thought, why it's always about smell? And then I understood, because smell is the least rational from all our um, feelings. When we see something, when we hear something, it's also impressive. But smell is something we cannot really rationalize. When we say that somebody smells bad, it's really disgusting. And then these people are dangerous. What does it mean? First of all, they are aggressive toward our women. That's first thing that is shown. In 19th century, uh, Ku Klux Klan said about Afro-Americans that they attacked white women. That is something Mm -hmm. that in Nazi Germany, Nazis said about Jewish people. That's what said all over the world now about migrants. They attack children, uh, women, they attack children, so the weakest. And and they take our um, workplaces which means that we do not have enough money to protect our women and children. Well, that's not all, of course, but that's the main thing, to make your enemy as disgusting as possible, but disgusting in irrational ways. Because as soon as you start thinking, you can already find a lot of controversial arguments. But no, you you don't have to think, you have to believe. That's why propaganda uses images, which are much more, uh, much stronger than words. And uh, uh, that's why propaganda, since Nazi times, tries to say maybe very stupid things, but repeat them a lot, many times, and then people believe it. Well, that's something that we, we can see and we can hear it every day today and it used to be like that uh, 100 years ago and 50 years ago so that's what my book is about i mean you basically have now given a explanation of some of the key methods used to create propaganda i mean the creation of the enemy external enemy um, the other enemy i'm also wondering just now if we could come to try to come to a succinct definition of propaganda (laughs) throughout history it's is it something that um as you said just a piece of text or media that has bias or does it have to be um does it does it matter like who is making it or for what goals they're making it or any of that like just expand on that a little Mm -hmm. bit well so if we speak about recent meaning because as i have said it used to be like I want everybody to know my ideas. That's my propaganda. That's not bad. Okay, you have your ideas, please tell about them, everybody. That's fine. But when we, now we speak about propaganda, there are two main um, characteristics. First of all, it's usually biased. It's not about real ideas, uh, whatever they are, good, bad, uh, Okay, but it's biased. It's it's about false stories, false facts, or even if they use real facts, they change it in that way 
in a biased way, which which means, well, uh, professional journalists must present different points of view in their articles, programs, and so on. They can favor one point of view, but that's that's a must. They have to say, well, okay, I think so, but other people, they have to give all kinds of uh, points of view, different sources, and so on. If it's propaganda, it's usually one-sided uh, presentation. So there are sources with, that all uh, say more or less the same, even if they present somebody who thinks in a different way, it's usually just for show. It's it's a very weak person who says some silly things, and then they press, they go on pressing on what they want us to believe. That's one thing. And another one is, well, in many situations, like in Russia now, uh, it's usually state propaganda that doesn't let other political forces present their way. On our television, almost all channel, all news channels say more or less the same thing. And you can't find a state channel which gives another perspective. I don't know. I suppose you, you have heard about uh, TV news channel Dorch that we have, mm-hmm. that it uh, two years ago... It was one of the most popular TV channels, and it is it is private. And it was growing very quickly and getting you bigger and bigger audience. And then state made several steps, and this channel was thrown away from uh, all uh, state, mm. well, packages on television. So now you can see it only in Internet. Still, there are many people who do it, but it's much lesser audience and it's a different audience. Those are people who are really interested, who want to to watch just this channel. But the state didn't let it grow because they presented different views. I have a question about the idea of like positive propaganda. I don't know if that's the correct term, but you've discussed kind of the characteristics and methods of propaganda that aims to other or like uh, make other people external. And I'm curious about things like in the U.S., the example I'm thinking of is supporting the troops or maybe images of, of Putin being some sort of wilderness strongman. I'm wondering like what the tactics there are and if those types of propaganda have uh, similar political goals or if they're just there to like kind of create an atmosphere? Well, uh, you know, today I think the word, the term propaganda loses or maybe has already lost its positive connotations. Uh, if If you use propaganda connected with any positive movement or group, it's kind of, it sounds, at least in Russian, it sounds a little bit insulting. Uh, they can make you, I don't know, create awareness of their ideas. But if you really fight for good cause, you are supposed to to be honest. 
well, let's say it like that. If you are honest, it means that you give your ideas, but you are ready to discuss them. You are ready to accept other people's point of view. If you are not, and if you start hiding their arguments, then it's already kind of propaganda, even if you fight for a very good cause. Right. So I'm I'm not talking about people that have actually good causes. I'm more talking about propaganda that portrays a positive image um, versus a negative oh, image yeah. of other people. And I'm wondering how those Im- more like, quote unquote, positive images are used. Yes. Yes, of course. If you have an enemy and this enemy is very bad, disgusting, evil. So you need somebody who will protect you. Because the main point of every propaganda is not just to show how bad your how uh, your enemy is, is to show that there is somebody, uh, well, like Stalin or Hitler, uh, who, or many, many other people, who, here is our hero. He can protect us. He likes women and children and protects them. Uh, he will help you to find your job and so on. And he is the, usually um, the contrary of the evil. Well, something like that. Yeah, that makes sense, especially in the like American context with like the troops will protect oh, you. Yes. <laughs> Yes, 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 of course, against uh, terrible migrants and Mm -hmm. so on. That's the same story, unfortunately. There's a section in your book uh, in which you go through this one particular propagandistic campaign about the Colorado beetle. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was a campaign in the Soviet Union um, about... America, like against America. So with America as the external enemy who's uh, infesting the Soviet Union and its uh, its allies with this pest, which is this beetle. Yeah. That actually did come from America, right? Mm-hmm. Et cetera. But so I'm wondering if you could just sort of like maybe talk a little bit about the other side of of what was going on in... I don't know if you have a concrete example, but I'm curious about what was going on on the other side of things like American propaganda about the Soviet Union of that particular era, just because that was the Cold War era or was it just before? Uh, With uh, time of Colorado Beetle, that's Cold War. That was just after Second World War. And... uh, uh, I can't say that I'm really good, um, that I know a lot of things about American propaganda at that time. But as far as I understand, um, that was not an easy time for America either, uh, for America as well. And uh, Senator McCarthy Commission that looked for communists and for left-wing people everywhere. Uh, As far as I understand, they also used... Uh, rather unpleasant propaganda, or showing everything that was in Soviet Union in a black in black colors, and showing communists as greatest enemies of American people and so on. But I think there was one great difference that still you always have uh, free press in America, 
So communists had hard times at the end of the 40s in the USA too, but uh, they had uh, some ways of of expressing their opinions, some legal ways of expressing their opinions, which in Soviet Union at that time, uh, anything anti-communist was completely out of question. I think the general sort of understanding that people have at least in the States, let's say, about Soviet propaganda, is that Soviet propaganda was very effective, was very, like, highly developed. I don't know if people really know that much about, like, how it's related to to the history of propaganda, but that's the sort of stereotype. And I was just thinking and wondering, like, let's say Soviet propaganda of that post-war era actually more effective than some other states' propaganda, like American, or is it more that it's not effective, it's just, as you said, uh, uh, what's the word? It, it has a sort of more, like, straight outlet and fewer ways of fighting against it or something like that. <laughs> it's sort of diff- Like, are they using the same tools, basically? Well, you know, it's difficult to say which propaganda is more effective. Uh, Soviet propaganda was really effective, because, first of all, because it acted in the situation when it had no uh, adversaries. Because in Soviet Union, you could hear, you could know only Soviet point of view. So people had to believe, they didn't know anything else. At the same time, in the years 60s and 70s, it led to um, great disbelief that many people felt because people got fed up with Soviet propaganda and people were really keen on uh, listening to American and British uh, radio channels. That was hard because you had because Soviet state did everything it could to prevent it, to suppress those uh, emissions, but still people managed to listen to them uh, because they were really they really wanted to have something new, something that is not Soviet propaganda. And at the end of Soviet times, many people were very much disappointed at Soviet ideas. It's very, it's really hard for me to speak about impact of American propaganda, but as far as I see, American propaganda worked quite well because what's the, the greatest aim of propaganda? To make people support their government. I think that's that's what what happened in America and well now that's a kind of different situation but in the years 40s and 50s surely I think I don't know 90% of people thought that the American government was their greatest protector from communism mm-hmm. so they believed it of course but well I don't know I, I suppose that was true who else could protect them <laughs> Um, I I have like a kind of related question. You talk about how um, in in the later Soviet years, people sort of got fed up with Soviet propaganda and looked for other sources for information. And and I'm wondering when you're in a highly or like very heavy propagandistic environment, does it make it 
more difficult to discern between propaganda, what is propaganda and what's just like information. And do you have other examples of countries or, or times within Russia in which people responded to propaganda kind of in different ways? Well, I suppose that uh, when you ask, that's also a psychological phenomena. One of uh, the ways propaganda works is that it is constantly repeated. When it is constantly repeated, every time it's harder and harder to stand against it. And, you know, there are psychological experiments when people were shown, uh, let's say, uh, black uh, objects. And 12 people had to look at them and say what color this thing is. And 11 people out of these 12 um, were uh, especially uh, put there by organizers. And they kept saying, this thing is white. And one person who didn't know that they were lying almost always ended by saying, yes, it's white. I think something is wrong with my eyes. That happened many times in many countries. Uh, well, I give an example, um, an Ameri- a famous American example about a boy who was accused of killing his mom. He, he wasn't beaten or anything. He was just put under heavy psychological pressure by policemen. And he admitted that he did it. And he admitted sincerely. Because at that moment, he really believed, they told him so many times that they are sure that he killed his mom, that he said, yes, I did it. I just, I think I just forgot it. And then it was proven that he was uh, 10 miles away at that moment. That's only, that's why he, he was set free. And he couldn't understand why he said, yes, I did. But he believed that that's how propaganda works. But of course, we know people who can still uh, preserve their, well, um, their reason, their intellect. You know, there is a famous photo from Nazi times. There a very, very big Nazi gathering, I think in Nuremberg, when they all uh, make Dikheil and uh, raise their hand in this Nazi uh, gesture. And in all this great, great, great crowd, there is one person who is not doing it on the photo. You can see him in this photo. You can imagine how great was the pressure on him at that moment when thousands of people around him were greeting Hitler and he was not. We even don't know his name, but he's a real hero. It's very, very difficult when everybody believes it. And when you hear it many times, you start believing. Do you think that you could give a specific example of something like that? uh, Something that is a position that's being like repeated in contemporary Russia? Unfortunately, I can. For example, since, 19, uh, since 2014, all state media keep repeating that in Ukraine it's uh, a fascist government. It's an absurd idea to say in, in the country, well, Russia fought against fascism, and here 
well, this word is one of, the, it's a terrible insult. But actually people know here in Russia what fascism is. Because we all learned it at school. We, we were taught about uh, Second World War and so on. And uh, you can like what's going on in Ukraine or not. But anyway, it has nothing to do with fascism. But it has been repeated so many times that millions of people believe it. And they repeat it without any doubt. Oh, yes, of course, Ukrainian fascists. That's crazy. Especially if you think how close Russian and Ukrainian people are, how intertwined uh, many families are. Right. No, it's it's uh, this idea is shared by millions, not but everybody, thanks God, but by many many people. Yeah, I I am I'm wondering, kind of specifically about how the TV has been used in Russia. I feel like we haven't done an episode about this, but we see it come up a lot. How the TV is kind of this like spigot of propaganda you know it's just like a direct access to somebody's home to like pour in information and I'm wondering if you have noticed through studying these things if there's kind of a shift in the way um people are exposed to propaganda through the television like does it just accelerate propaganda or is there a different method for tv propaganda well Television is the main tool of propaganda today, and there are many people, thousands of people who who try not to watch television and try to find news in the internet and YouTube channels and so on. And of course, there is a lot of bias there too, but still it's considered to be a kind of alternative source of information anyway. As for television, uh, first of all, it's always very strong because it gives images. People always tend to believe what they see. And television can play very clever games with images. They can show only part of what's going on, or they can... We, we had recently terrible examples when people pretended to be victims, let's say, of Ukrainians or somebody else, which they really were not, and were telling stories on TV that didn't happen. And it enters in every house. And there are many families where people just turn on the TV when they come home, and they don't turn it off. They can talk to each other, they can uh, have dinner, and TV is still talking. And you can say, okay, they are not listening. But at the same time, this information still reaches them. It's strange. Also, it's also a strange phenomena. But it's something like uh, at the background. But they feel it. It's, it. it's in the air. It's a very tragic situation. Do you think that propaganda, and, and I guess let's speak specifically about Russia or, or a specific country, whichever you want to talk about. Do you think that propaganda is these days controlled like in a top-down manner? Like the head of the country says, okay, this is the uh, kind of ideals we're pushing and these are the sort of like propagandistic 
regimes that we're going to enlist to like aid our image or whatever? Um, Or do you think more that it's the head of the country has some sort of ideology and then people that want to curry favor from the head of the country, like propagate the propaganda of their own accord? Well, I I can't imagine that President Putin or President Trump can control everything. It's simply too much uh, work. You know, they can give uh, some main uh, points and so on. And at the same time, of course, well, there are people who especially deal with propaganda, who uh, meet uh, journalists, who meet head of TV channels and tell them their ideas. Of course, they do not control every program, but people who work in mass media, they are used already to this situation. So they more or less understand what what, uh, states want from them. And they do what, even not what they are told, but what what the state wants them to do. They feel it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, like a sort of self-censor. Well, some people call it self-censorship, but yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. And they also feel what they, what they can't say. Even if they are not, uh, if it hasn't been forbidden officially. But they feel, well, that's something... Uh, that authorities will not like, mm. so we'd better not do it. Right, right. Like an like an instinct. I wanted to broaden out a little bit and ask about what what do you think are some of the key differences between between propaganda and something like advertising or marketing. And I understand. <laughs> <laughs> and I understand that it's sort of like you said. Well, propaganda is in the more contemporary definition is something made to support a government. But if if we like broaden out from supporting a government? Well, uh, advertising is really close to propaganda. And uh, we can see that advertising uses the same ideas uh, made by Dr. Goebbels in the, the beginning of the 30s. Uh, you should repeat, well, if you think, you have to repeat the same thing many times. This thing should be simple. It shouldn't be something that uh, asks people to reflect on or something, just to believe. And uh, uh, they they have to believe it and to act upon this belief. So that's more or less what uh, advertising does. Uh, the diff- The only difference I see that... Well, if it's an honest advertising, so it can be checked. So theoretically, if a company advertises a product and then we find out that it's not it's unhealthy or something, so it will be a big scandal that's a base for civil suits, I suppose, and so on. Advertisement, advertising doesn't uh, doesn't have so many opportunities to lie. Hmm. Okay. Uh, or maybe they have more restrictions. But at the same time, just imagine, it's more or less the same, but in a kind of way, I am in big danger because I don't have, I don't, this uh, uh, mascara. 
because nobody will love me. Oh, now I have it. And you see, 10,000 of people use it and they say that it's beautiful and they found wonderful boyfriends because of that. Uh, so it's things, usually advertising is not really aggressive. Uh, I mean, it can be really aggressive while uh, impressing us, but they don't make image of evil image of enemy. Mm. So let's make it better. But still, it wants us to believe it. I mean, also, I was just thinking when I was reading the parts in your book about, well, about Goebbels, like principles of propaganda and also just in general, like the the methods that are used and this concept of a slogan that's repeated, like a slogan, it's something that, you know, is used for protests from activists fighting for something that, you know, we might all sit here and agree is like a good thing. And yeah. do you, would you say that, I mean, do you think that like overall any kind of reductionary, uh, message or belief is is dangerous potentially or is it fine or yeah <laughs> well you know if leaders of any movement well slogans are good tool for everybody uh, but if you can i don't know discuss this slogan often of course not at the moment when everybody's <laughs> shouting but if you can discuss it if you can say, huh, I don't think it's a tr uh, very good one. Maybe we should change it. Let's talk. If it's like that, then it's already, it's not propaganda. It's just, uh, well, political tool. Still, it's made, of course, to make people believe it or remember it. But it's a political tool. If you must believe, if you must repeat it, if everybody repeats it, and there is no alternative, then it's, of course, a different thing. I, I would like to get into, just get a little more concretely into one of the, one of the many specific examples you give in the book of propaganda working uh, in, in the real world. And the one, the one example I have in mind is the one where you talk about the adoption law for, for adopting Russian children Americans adopting Russian children yeah could could you could you like walk through the sort of um what that looked like that that shift in that campaign yeah you know uh well first of all of course those who passed this law most of them never cared about children they cared about their own security because that was a response to Magnitsky Act the act that was passed in the Congress, Sergei Magnitsky was a person who died in Russian prison, and he died because of um, he couldn't get uh, medical care that he needed, and he was more or less killed. Maybe not killed by uh, I don't know revolver or something, but he was killed by uh, absence of medical care. And he was a man who tried to make state aware of some facts of very strange, uh, strong corruption. Mm -hmm. And so people who are connected to this case, there is a list of these people, and American Congress uh, made very severe restrictions of, on their visa, on their American visas, on their accounts in, uh, in American banks, and so on. 
And after that, these people in Duma, so in Russian parliament, they started protecting children. Also, it, it, it's a crazy reaction. They just wanted to show how terrible American people are because they kill Russian children. That was a very tragic story with this adopted child uh, who was forgotten. His father forgot to take him out of the car and he stayed in the car for many hours in a big heat and so he mm. died. It's a really strange story, of course. And, well, he said that he was so immersed in his business problems that he just forgot to take him out. Uh, he, it was a very small boy. Father was uh, heartbroken and full of guilt. And there was a long process in America, and he was acquitted. Also, it was, of course, a tragic story for this family. And because of that, uh, adoption of children from orphan Russian orphanages was forbidden for American people. The terrible problem there is that American people usually, well, they could adopt only those children who were not adopted by Russians. Uh, state always gives precedence to local people to adopt children. So, the Americans mostly adopted children who were really very, very ill, disabled, with terrible illnesses that couldn't be cured here in Russia. And there are, we have a lot of examples of children who were brought to America and they were cured and they became successful people and athletes and so on and live normal lives. All that stopped. and. It was part of great anti-American hysteria that was go has been going on for several years already. And I must say that uh, there were many marches against this law, and a lot of people took part in them because many people understand how dangerous this act is. But at the same time, uh, image of America has already been so... Mm, ugly that many people thought oh really Russian children are in danger there and uh, many people uh, agreed with this decision which is terrible because we know already about many children who died in orphanages because they couldn't be cured here so that's the story but uh, Duma voted Almost unanimously, only several people voted against it. Yeah, and it was like all, it was, people were explicitly, people in the Duma who supported the bill were explicitly referencing this tragedy with the little boy. Just yes. this one instance, right? Like, Yes, yeah. yes. Sorry, I, put, I picked a sad example, but I just, it was very, it like left a big impression on me. Well, I feel like, I feel like, since we've already talked for a long time, I think this is maybe a good stopping point. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to take up too much of your time. But thank you so much for, for coming on and for sharing your time yes, with us. Really, really appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for your interest. Yeah. Well, so for our Russian-speaking listeners, um, you can you can 
where can people get your book? Well, the uh, electronic version, online version of this book is in electronic library that is called Bookmate. And if they want a paper copy, I suppose they should contact Individuum uh, publishing house. Yeah. And if I mean, I know personally, if you're in St. Petersburg, you can easily get the book in uh, a number of 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 like the bigger bookstores. I got I got it in Padpisnidania. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's called Kakraboted Propaganda. One more time. And is there a place that people can follow you or find you in the internet if you would you like them to follow you? <laughs> Well, I'm always in present on Facebook. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tamara. Okay, thank you. Okay. That's the episode. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Telegram at Cheese in Russia. Sign up for a monthly image-based newsletter at cheeseinrussia.com and follow our new project on Instagram at fortichka underscore. And we will see you next week. And, and hi, I'd like to just ask if you would like to... Um, I, hello. Also, <laughs> don't forget to support Sir. Mm-hmm. Sir likes to be supported if you can spare the monies. Please support Sir at... at patreon.com slash she's in Russia. Goodbye.